Let's just end breaking news. No more bullshit. No more bullshit. No bullshit. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. I'm on TV again. <laughs> You're doing a shimmy, Charlie. <laughs> Telecommuting. Telecommuting. Oh, this is funky, man. Because everybody's afraid of each other and should not intermingle. We've so totally socially distanced, and we're we're broadcasting from. I'm in my daughter's office, Karen's in her office, and Mark Fellauer is down in the studio because his wife will kill him if he touches anybody. Mm-hmm. Won't she, bro? Uh, yeah, I think uh, pretty much everybody's wife or spouse who the other person works might kill them. Okay, so anyway, look, uh, <laughs> getting into. I, I'm sorry if I'm scattered. I've been up since. Seven. I went to bed at four. I got calls from hospital residents, you know, begging me for masks. I have a few. Listen, let me start out like this. We're on Facebook Live. I know some of you download on Sundays, but I have a couple of really good FEMA quality P100, 100% filtration. Um, First responders and nurses only, please send me a message on Facebook. I'll meet up. I got two left. Uh, they got replaceable filters. They're they're the best. They're washable. They 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 seal. Sometimes those those uh, paper masks don't seal, and that creates a problem. You you think it's working, but it's not. And so anyway, sheriffs, deputies were calling the residents, nurses, paramedics, cops. We we got nothing. We just we got we got nothing. So. Uh, here's here's what I can tell you. Monday, we reported two cases of coronavirus positive amongst the employees at the county jail here. On Tuesday, it was six. On Wednesday, it was 18 plus the death of the head man, Commander Collins, died from corona. Last night, I got the official bulletin. I, I don't even know if the sheriff's aware of it because they gave me the wrong number. It was 33. Today, I get... First thing in the morning, five more. Ugh. Michigan's becoming the nexus of this. It's becoming one of the, Detroit's becoming one of the hotspots, according to the CDC, okay? And we have nothing there. That if, if we're a central zone, the center of that zone is this jail. I don't know how many months I got to say this. You get in there and you clean it up. End of story. End of story. So today, anyway, we're going to have uh, my old friend, good friend, Tucker Carlson from Fox News, going to join us in a minute. And we're going to have uh, Father Paul, my priest, because I miss him. And uh, yeah, I'll give you a little reading and then we'll we'll go back to. I don't know. You guys are married. Uh, are, are you going to get divorced if this thing keeps up? Well, what my- do you mean, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> 
I love my wife, but I can't be this close. Is it a, but is, then who are you going to be close to? I mean, if you leave her, you go to somebody else. Yeah. Don't leave her. I love her. Don't leave her. Stay no, with her. That, no, don't do that because she's listening. It's not. I'm not saying that. It's, it's like I like to be out. I yeah. like to just be in my own head, you know, like banging into each other is weird. Plus, she's really mad that I'm going out and delivering these. I had like a, a row of ambulances in front of my house the other night. Because I heard. I put, I put out the word I had this. Charlie, because, those are those are the good kind, though. I mean, you've got the you've got the real deal. Well, again, I mean, thanks to the contractors who who kicked in because that's you know that's asbestos quality. That's going to filter everything. But so I can't can't mine believe we had it. Mine won't work. Oh, no, well, that, Burberry. That, is it Burberry? <laughs> it looks like a Burberry print. Well, let me do this. Let me let me say uh, Facebook Live is brought to you by uh, Green Grow. Green Grow is open during the current shutdown. They fall under the agriculture category of essential businesses. And look, folks, if you don't know how you need to germinate your seeds, you're going to start gardening. You got it. You got to germinate them. It's cold outside. What you do is get a moist sprout them in your home. So Grow Green's buying semi-trucks loads full of soil, nutrients, uh, and lights daily to make sure you can keep growing. Supply chain issues will be a problem, so get stocked up. Now is the time to get out uh, your green thumb and they start a, a home grow. You know, whether it's food inside or it's, uh, you know, it's your weed, whatever you're going to do. Curbside pickup is available on the phone and online orders. Grow green, making Michigan greener, one grower at a time on M36 at Whitmore Lake or online at growgreenmi.com. So good luck to you, Grow Green. And I want to say, uh, Dear friends of the show, American Coney Island is still shipping Coney kits. Those things are going crazy. So if you're missing something, you want a little bit of the outside and your inside, dozen dogs, all the fixings, chili, onions, buns, the little hat for the kids, it all comes. Go to AmericanConeyIsland.com and get a little normalcy back in your life. Okay? And kudos cool. to you guys, Charlie, for last week's event. Uh, you raised money for Michigan Mitten, I believe it's called. Uh, and you served a lot of, I mean, I saw you, so good job. <laughs> well, my wife was mad about that because now I'm hanging around homeless people. But you see what New Orleans is doing. Right. Now they're rounding them up and putting them in hotels. I mean, I'm not talking dumb shit just to talk dumb shit. If a virus doesn't care. Oh, is Tucker? Look at that. Is that T Tucker? Is that you? Yeah, he is. Uh, he is on the phone. I hope Shit, I can't hear him. I was going to say, why is he angry? Is this picture? <laughs> Wait, I got a better one. I got another picture. Of him. Can you hear me? There he is. How about this one? Hey, brother. Hey, man. How you doing? Uh, well, we're all uh, telecommuting here. And so um, you don't even know how to do that. So uh, basically, we're all in three different locations and we're holding different pictures of you up uh, in front of the camera. So do you want the, the flummoxed Tucker? The happy Tucker or the angry Tucker? <laughs> I'd like a combination of the three, but I'll go with baffled if those are the choices. I'm in Give my box right now, so it's best there's no Zoom camera, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, brother. Um, you've been you've been killing it, dude, and uh, it, it's been amazing. I'm I'm flummoxed. I'm stumped. Here, here's what this whole thing we're going through reveals to me. Two decades after 9-11 and trillions of dollars in emergency preparedness and homeland security, we, we have none of that. Number two, the economy is sick. The underpinnings were not solid. And here we are. What, what are you making of like nurses not having gloves? 
it kind of confirms everything we knew. I mean, you know, well, you covered 9-11, and it's always true in a crisis. They tend to, big upheavals like this tend to accelerate trends already in progress, and they tend to reveal the rot beneath that you were able to paper over while things were good. But, like, there's nobody who's been paying attention, and I, you're definitely in this category, who's shocked to find out we've got an economy built on finance and consumer spending. I mean, that, that's not really a durable economy. Right, it's not really an economy. Right. Actually, lending money no. and getting people to buy retail goods—I mean, that's not—you know—a country that is prospering is producing by definition. So we we shouldn't be surprised. I guess what I'm—I am surprised by though—is the coverage of this. I mean, some of it has been good and interesting and informative, but there's almost nobody asking the most basic questions. And that, you know, we could use that. Not all the time. You don't always want to have, you know, conversations about the implications of things. Often you just want to know what's going on. But somewhere in the mix should be sober adults asking things that we probably should be talking about. Like, we just spent $2 trillion, which, by the way, I think I'm for. I think. I'm certainly for sending people money so they have enough to eat. I mean, I'm definitely for that. But, like, where does the $2 trillion come from? I don't think we have that in the federal checking account. It would be nice at least to know that. Are we selling all that debt to China? Are we going to wake up and China will have even more control over our economy after we've battled through an epidemic they unleashed on the world? Like the layers of irony are too much for me. Like, yeah, and it, it, go, I'm sorry to interrupt, but is, is that quantitative easing? You know what I mean? That, that which means basically the the Fed just invents money into its its own account and buys everything from itself and from Wall Street and from the, the, the mortgage market and from the auto loans. What what happens to the money? Because well, we, we went through this 10 years ago. Well, hasn't this been the basis of wealth creation for the past decade? Is this frenzied printing of money? Now, a lot of people have done really well. I mean, that money goes to the banks, and then theoretically it filters down to the rest of us. An awful lot of it sticks there, as we've seen. But that's got to have consequences at some point, no? I mean, at some point, since we have a system based on faith in currency, the only reason currency has value is because we trust the government that issues it. At some point, people say, don't they, maybe I don't trust this as much. And then you get inflation. And when you have inflation, like that's when things start to get super volatile, not just in your economy, but in your society. And I'm just worried that we're headed toward that. I, I am too, man. I am too. And I, I think that's the greater fear than the coronavirus, which, by the way, let me say, take it seriously. What I read, uh, the, it, the ability of this thing to be contracted about twice as high as the normal. People are like amateur uh, epidemiologists now. So they're saying, well, where's all the deaths? How come there's more deaths with flu? And I said, okay, maybe we're going to get to that. But let's consider this thing a normal flu. If this was a normal flu, 50,000 people are going to die. Right. But normal flu has vaccines. We have no vaccine for this. Let me tell you today, dude, how fucked up this is in terms of money. Our, our jail system is the, is the nexus for it. Like you now know that Detroit is one of the very hot zones. We're on the 45th parallel, like New York and Chicago and Seattle. It's the weather here. We don't have gloves. We don't have masks. And the head man, the head man at the jail died. The head man of homicide in Detroit 
the police department died. The head man of the police department in Highland Park, which is wholly surrounded by Detroit, looks like he's going to die. He's on a ventilator. If this doesn't fucking scare people, and I'm not saying panic, I'm saying take it seriously. If this doesn't concern you, if you want to keep denying that we have a real issue in our hands and we're not prepared for it, then I don't know what to say to you. It seems like that's pretty clear, and I think most people understand it. The problem is that the initial estimates for the deaths, and that they were estimates that I repeated aggressively a lot, because I thought the country wasn't aware that this was coming, and I felt like I should talk about it, so I did. But those estimates are so far from where we are now that you need to, there needs to be an explanation for that. And I clearly, one of the explanations is we took the advice of epidemiologists and tried to slow the spread, and that may have worked. So that's, that's one explanation. But we also need to be honest, we haven't had randomized mass testing, so we don't have a baseline for anything. We don't know actually how communicable it is because we don't know how many people have it. And because we don't know how many people have it, we don't know what the death rate is. We also don't know what the, what the injury rate is. In other words, there's apparently lung scarring for people who recover in some cases. How many cases? What percentage? We don't know. So we're just kind of, without reliable numbers, we're just working off, you know, good faith estimates, informed estimates. And we're going to make mistakes because that's what happens when you do that. Well, if we're going to make mistakes, isn't it best to err on the side of less deaths and safety? Sure. I mean, it might, it might absolutely be. Um, and that's certainly the position I've taken on my show is that you don't want people to die because it's not just the people dying. It's the people crowding the hospitals who are crowding out people with other diseases because, you know, coronavirus isn't the only thing people die of. So if you've got pancreatitis or you're, you know, got stage two breast cancer or whatever, you know, you need treatment too. So but didn't but there's you, also a didn't cause you agree that the older people should be sacrificed for the good of the economy and for other Americans? Did you agree with that logic, for lack of a better word? Well, I don't, I've never heard that. I mean, that's kind of a grotesque idea. No, of course, I would never agree with something like that. I've never heard anybody say that. But I, if I did, I would, I would strongly disagree. I don't think you should ever sacrifice anybody for anything. I mean, I'm. I'm not Catholic, but I'm pretty close to Catholic on, on questions like that. I, I'm totally shocked by abortion and euthanasia, and I don't like the death penalty, and I don't like killing people, period. So, no, I'm totally opposed to that. Okay. My Tucker. position, though, Tucker. is that like there are a lot of different factors here, and, and I know that Twitter doesn't acknowledge it because most people on Twitter are like children, but... <laughs> But in real life, anyone who's managed a family can tell you, you've got, you know, competing imperatives. Like, you know, you, you want to do this, but you also have to do that. And you really have to do both of them. I mean, that's just the truth. That's what life is. And so you have to make wise, balanced decisions where, you know, you know, you're not going to get everything. I'm sorry. That's just, that's what it is. And the rules of life haven't changed just because of the coronavirus. So I think it is fair to ask yourself, like, so for example, I'll just give you an example. So a lot of women get breast cancer every year, and we've got a massive push to reduce the death rate from that, to treat it effectively, a lot of fundraising, et cetera, a lot of public awareness. We also have some small but significant number of men who get breast cancer every year. So we recommend that women over 40 get mammograms. My wife does. I think most women over 40 do. We could also recommend that every man over 40 get mammograms because men die of breast cancer. But we don't do that because 
we know that there are only so many mammogram machines and so many mammogram technicians. And so you have to make an informed judgment about what's best. Like, that's just what it is. And again, social media distorts that. And everyone's in social media. Everyone's stuck inside, like going on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And, and there, people lose perspective on things. I, I do. I'm not judging, but like, that's a part of what's happening right now. Tucker, let me ask you this. Um, social distancing appears to be the one thing that works really well in slowing the spread. Um, we really admire a separation of states' rights with the federal government. So we're in this position where some states are closed down, some cities within states are closed down. There's a battle between there. Do you think the federal government should step up and close stuff down or take control of it or leave it up to individual cities or individual states? It's a tough one. I mean, let me say by just start by saying we don't know that social distancing works. I think it does. It makes sense. It seems like it would work. We, we don't know that as a scientific matter because we don't have the baseline numbers. So again, all conversations need to start with what we actually know and what, we, what we're just guessing about. Again, in a well-informed, well-intentioned way, but we're still guessing. And let's not lie about it. Everyone's lying about it. We know this. Bullshit, you don't. Because you don't. Well, I think it's so the anyways, best. I think it's the best guest. Get best guess right yeah, now. Yeah, guess it's 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 one guess. I I'm kind of for it. I'm not against. I'm not. By the way, just to be clear, I'm not making a case against it. That's fine. What mm-hmm. I'm making a case against is lying and overstatement, and and there's yeah, too well, much of that. And so, well, but anyway, like I, this too. If 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 that if that's the common um, uh, thought, Mark, about okay, let's socially distance, and why would the governor so slow with say the schools, right? Yeah. W- there's something more than just this virus going around. This thing has opened up the the breastplate of American life. Why don't you close the schools? Because in New York, there's 100,000 homeless children in the schools. That is their home. That is where they eat. It's the same in Detroit. We close it down, and that's where many, many kids eat. And once you shut it down, you create another problem. So right. I'm just shocked. Again, that there's no master plan, not not federally, not statewide, not in the county, and certainly not in the cities. And I wonder, God damn it, what those bureaucrats been doing day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade. You know what I mean? Well, I agree we with that, and that's especially true on testing. I mean, we ought to have reliable tests, and the CDC screwed up the rollout twice, and I think, and a lot of different authorities, federal and local, gave conflicting and incorrect advice to the public on how to respond. In New York, they told people to go to the festivals in Chinatown because it was bigoted not to. It's like, was that, from an epidemiological point of view, the best advice? I don't know. Probably not. But I would say this, and I agree with you on the federal stuff. It's super frustrating, and I think the federal health authorities should be embarrassed. I think the administration screwed up in a lot of ways. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I also think it's not really a national problem right now. We have outbreaks in some specific places. We think new ones are coming, but there's no reason. So Seattle's been totally knocked on its butt by this, as you've seen. Why would you make Bozeman, you know what I mean, or 2.0 Montana respond in exactly the same way downtown Seattle does? I mean, that's not this is a huge and super complicated country, like super complicated. Yeah, let's be let's be honest. I mean, I could see people who would attack you for that, but let's be reasonable. We have layers of government for this very reason, right? It, 
the bozo sitting in, in DC have no idea what Billings even looks like, what, what the flow of life is. That's why you do have a governor. That's why you do have county commissioners and mayors. You know, uh, you know what I'm saying? Do I know what you're saying? Yeah. And, and let me just say, nobody despises our leaders more than I do. I spend my whole life attacking them. I wrote a book on it. I brood about it. It causes me to lose sleep. I mean, I, I don't trust anybody in authority, and I say that every single night, and I mean it. Watch it's this totally one. Watch spell. this one. On the other hand, there is this idea that there's like some magic solution that they're hiding from us or something, or if only someone would stand up and say the right words, this would be better. I mean, the deeper you get into this, the more difficult it is to know exactly what to do. I mean, there Israel, for example, has said, this is mostly a threat to old people. Some young people get it and die. Yes, that's true. But the numbers suggest it's not very many. And so maybe we should put most of our resources into protecting the people at biggest risk, people with respiratory illnesses, diabetics, obese people, and the elderly. And that's not a crazy idea. I mean, maybe it's a bad idea. I'm not sure if it is or not. But, like, that's different from what we've done, and I don't think it's crazy. So, again, it's just proceeding with humility might help us get to a better solution. I mean, that's always true. If you have any kind of problem, if someone jumps in and he's like, you're all idiots, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's, doubtless that's true. Most people in charge are idiots, and they're selfish, and they're short-sighted. I agree. But it doesn't mean that someone super, super smart, you know what I mean, could fix the problem if he were in charge. Speaking of someone super, super smart, you talk to the president about this. You on your show are ringing this bell for months, like it's coming, it's coming. And nobody, nobody took it. Well, not nobody, but nobody in Washington was taking it seriously. You got yourself a meeting with the president to impress upon him to take it seriously. He shit the bed on this. What did you tell him? And did he take you seriously? Well, I have no idea, you know, what he thought of what I said, because I can't know that. I said exactly what I said on my show, which is... This is coming. You can't. And we, by the way, we knew it was coming because in an age of jet travel, you're going to have pandemics. There's no way to stop them. And by the way, even the 1918 Spanish flu killed 100 million people and there was no commercial air travel. It killed people on the Aleutian Islands. It killed people on yes. every continent. So this stuff, the second people leave home, they put the entire population at risk for an epidemic. And because we're connected, it becomes a pandemic. So we know this is happening. I don't think the country's prepared for it. I think we're totally in denial. I don't think the public health authorities seem like they have it under control. I, and it, what I was concerned about at the time, and maybe history will show that I was wrong, but this, this was my concern, was the medical capacity. I never have thought we would get a vaccine in time because vaccines can't be developed that quickly. They never have been anyway. I always thought the real problem is a crush on hospitals. Like that is a disaster. First of all, it causes panic. Second, it kills people who aren't even sick with the virus. And third, mm-hmm. and most obviously, people who have the virus may not survive it. So we need to make sure we have enough beds and enough equipment, you know, enough antiviral drugs, enough ventilators, enough respirators for the staff to wear, you know, just basic stuff. I've said that on the air from the beginning. I, I do did think, you say by the way, this, if I could did you say this directly to the president? Yeah, I said exactly what I say on TV. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not, you know, you may think I'm totally wrong, and I may be totally wrong, but one thing I am is sincere. I say the same thing to my wife, 
you know, over coffee in the morning, as I say on the show, as I would say to Trump or you or whatever. I mean, I just, you know what I mean? I'm too old to remember different characters. So I just am always kind of the same. Ask anybody who knows me. But, well, you know me. I'm the same. So anyway, the point is, that's what I said. And I think that one of the main reasons people were ignoring it is because of Trump. I do think that. I've always thought that. I said that on the air. They were Everything is so focused on Trump the man, either people, you know, hating him or people holding him up for adulation or either way, it's, everything is about Trump. And there's a huge cost to that, you know, huge, because you miss all the other stuff that's going on. I mean, leaving aside, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, the media are too mean to Trump. I'm saying the media are ignoring the rest of the world because of Trump. Well, I, here's, here's what I'm saying. While this thing was brewing and moving, we're in the middle of um, impeachment kabuki theater, okay? Exactly. So the Democrats aren't doing anything. The Republicans aren't doing anything. The bureaucracy's not moving. The president's not making a move. He made incorrect decisions. He denies it. And I'll tell you something. This is why I'm asking. On a lower level here, because I've decided to cast my lot, leave the coast, leave all that, and come here with my people, I was saying the same goddamn thing to my governor, right? Just about where the hot zones were, where we were missing stuff, yeah. and they and they just ignored, I want to say me, but it's not me, because now look, I told you, I rang the bell, I rang the bell, I was in the jail 10 days ago. I'm not even sure I've cleared the 14-day the, the thing now. And I'm he, the deputies, the nurses, all those people I love, even the fucking guys locked up. When you look at them, like they're trapped veal cattle. They're scared and nothing's getting done. Nobody, not the fucking president, not the governor, and those two idiots, one Democrat, one Republican, are doing a Twitter war. I don't give a fuck about your Twitter war. I need some gloves for my niece who's an emergency room nurse. That's what I want. And they didn't do it, Tucker. So let well, me just exactly. say, thanks for at least telling the fucking guy. That what I mean, what is the situation in the jail <laughs> in Macomb County or Detroit or in, in, in Wayne County, Detroit. Okay, here Wayne we go. County. It's been under court oversight for four decades. For the health reasons, it's under federal investigation for mental health because a rash of people have killed themselves. No showers at intake, no vacuum bag for the people's clothing, no thermometers, no questionnaires, no cleaning crews, no bleach, no gloves, no masks. The showers don't work. They put people, they released 400 nonviolent people. That's a good start, right? Since it's an incubator. But here's what they did. Everybody listening and you, Tucker. They didn't test a single fucking inmate before they put them out on the street. Ugh. Didn't even take their temperature. So what does that tell? I mean, that just tells you they don't care. We need a, like they don't we care. need a new way. We need a new way. Well, I think it's the time. way is really simple. It's simple. You know, leaders are supposed to, above all, care about the people they lead. That's it. And if they have contempt for the people they lead, they're bad leaders. It really is a question of intent. I'm not convinced. Look, I live in a world where everybody went to Harvard Business School and everyone, you know, got an IQ of 130 and, you know, aced the verbal SAT or whatever. I mean, like everyone's smart in Washington. That's the one thing that's true about D.C. It's all the smart kids move there. And they're totally incompetent. They do a very bad job leading the country. So it's clearly not about cognitive ability. I mean, I think, like, if you're too dumb, you probably can't pull it off. But the average person would do a better job than the people now doing it. Why is that? It's about 
empathy. It's about caring about the people. I mean, this is the thing about parenting. Like, if you really love your kids, you're still going to make a ton of mistakes in the way that you raise them, but you're not going to fuck. They're not going to become serial killers because they know that you love them. And so ultimately you're going to get closer to the right decision than someone who doesn't love them. Right. It's just that simple. They don't care about us. That's that's the truth. It's because as you say, regular people are people of action. You see in it now because they're the only one like all those shit bags in, in Washington. We don't need you. I'm not looking for you. I'm looking for the cop. I'm looking for the nurse. I'm looking right. for the pet store clerk who's got some guts to show up so I can feed Pookie. That's what I'm looking for. So what I notice about the bureaucracy is everybody's smart and everybody's a creep and everybody goes along to keep the paycheck. And yet nothing works. All the smart kids built it and it doesn't work. It's a blood sucking machine. So I was been thinking about there is a national election going on. Bernie Sanders has done a very good job of explaining the problems. And yet the reason we rejected him is his solution is not a good one because it should be evident to everybody now that creating more bureaucracy, running a bigger debt, right, for things that don't get done is not the solution. The solution isn't more people staring into a fucking computer. So I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think Sanders, more than any other candidate, identified the problems. I mean, I wait a minute. I, that, I, that's news. Somebody write that down. Tucker Carlson said, <laughs> "Oh, I've said that." Bernie Sanders did better than anybody else in identifying the economic malaise in this country. Go ahead. Well, sure. I mean, the death of the middle class is the biggest economic story of the last hundred years. You can't have a democracy without a middle class. You can't. It's never. I mean. Venezuela tried it. How'd that work? I mean, no country can have it. It's really simple. You're going to do one man, one vote. Citizenship equals the ability to choose your leaders. And that's our system. Then you have to have an independent middle class, uh, independent country. And that is predicated entirely on a middle class. And ours in 2000, what was it? 15 became for the first time in the last hundred years, a minority of the population middle class. So you know where we're going. We're moving toward a country with a very familiar economic system where you have a massive surf class overseen by a thin layer of rich people. That's the system in virtually every country in the world outside the U.S. and, and Western Europe. Well, and guess what? That, that, that magical uh, golden pear tree called uh, the stock market has withered. Yeah. Well, and who knows what the effects of that will be? I mean, I have all kinds of theories about it, but you really don't know. I mean, I sometimes feel like I think I know what's going to happen, but I mean, this has been such a shock to a system that really wasn't prepared for a shock, amazingly, that, I mean, God knows what happens. I mean, this could cause a, a total reordering of our politics completely. I'll tell you this, I am utterly convinced and would bet money that Joe Biden will not be the Democratic nominee on Election Day. I just don't believe that. I really don't. What did you just say? I sincerely and totally believe that Joe Biden will not be the Democratic nominee on Election Day. I how, don't believe that. How does that math work? I mean, I, I don't know how many. Well, the, math, the math doesn't work, but it's not about math. It's about will. So the Democratic Party is intent on taking power, period, period. And, and they mean it. And they're willing to do, you know, kind of whatever they think works. I mean, that's 
demonstrable. Joe Biden is not prepared, and he can't beat Trump. He can't lead the country. He shouldn't be working still. I'm not being mean. I know him. I've always liked him, but that's true. And so those are two trains traveling toward each other at high speed, like two competing imperatives. We've got to win, but we've got a guy who can't win. Therefore, they're going to replace him. And I would bet, if you want to, I mean, I would say it right now on your podcast, if you want to bet money on him, I'm happy to. That's how sincerely I mean that. That's not going to, I've watched Biden carefully for 35 years. He's been in Washington for 50. I've been there, what, I guess 36 years now, and I know him, and I know his family, and again, I've always liked him because he's very charming in person. But he is. this is not the guy I've known, and you can ask anybody who knows him or, or who has watched him. This is not him. He's a completely different person, and he's in decline, and I feel bad about it. That'll be me someday, and I, I feel sad. I hope someone around me loves me enough not to let me run for president. <laughs> but he's not going to make it, and the people around him know that. Trust me, I know them, and and I know they know it because they've said it to me. So I think it's if I had to bet, I would think Andrew Cuomo's the most likely to replace Biden. But you know, we'll see. Things change. Well, maybe you know, potentially he could pick Cuomo as his uh, running mate, mm-hmm. but yet he's he's already put himself in a corner saying he's picking a woman. So that's it that's pretty hard to go back so on that. So you're, gonna, yeah. you're telling me we're going to have a 1968, there's going to be a, uh, yeah. uh, I, a coup at the convention? You. That's what I'm telling you right now. And I don't know if then, the reaction will be the same as 1968. I mean, the party isn't as strong as it was. 1968, you could just call up the mayor, you know, call the delegates, this is what we're doing, Hubert Humphrey's the man, mm-hmm. and then you could call the mayor and say, hey, if there's a problem, shut it down. You know, there are fewer people to call now. But the but I so I don't even think it's a matter of the party doing it. I think it's a matter of of Democrats. I, I mean, of the you know the, the fundraising class. Mark Lazary, the biggest fundraiser in the Democratic Party, and all the people beneath him. I think it's. I think this will even become a consensus among activists on social media that he's not capable of winning. Now, who replaces him? That's the question. And the Bernie people, who have every right to have a big voice in this, I think. I mean, they've been screwed a couple of times. They're going to want to push Bernie. You know, I don't know, but I can tell you it will not be Biden. And I would, again, I'd be happy to bet on it. Okay, I'll take the bet. Good. I'll bet you dinner or whatever you want. I'll bet you whatever you want, but I, I'd certainly bet you dinner, but you tell me. Uh, well, let's hope this thing clears so we can go out there. We're going to have a virtual <laughs> dinner, bro, but you don't have Zoom. <laughs> Well, let's hope we get our checks in the mail so we can afford it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, man, you, look. Let me let me let me read from uh, one of your shows, recent shows, talking about uh, Senator Richard Byrd, North Carolina, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. You said you did a show. You said you may have seen news reports this afternoon that chairman of the Senate Intelligence, Intelligence Committee sold more than a million dollars in stock in mid February after learning about how devastating the Chinese coronavirus could be. He had inside information about what could happen to our country, which is now happening, but he didn't warn the public. He didn't give a primetime address. He didn't go on television to sound the alarm. He didn't even disavow an op-ed he'd written just 10 days before claiming America was better prepared than ever for coronavirus. That's true, that was right to do, and not a fucking peep anymore. See the news cycle? It's he disgusting. should resign. 
it's discuss- I mean, well, he should be bounced out of the Senate. You know, he should lose his kid. First of all, Mitch McConnell, who's the Republican leader in the Senate, the senior man in the Senate, could strip him of his committee chairmanship immediately, and he should, of the, of the Senate Intelligence Committee. should take it away from him right now, and that's what the senators care about is those committee chairmanships. He should do mm-hmm. that immediately. And Republicans, is, I mean, there have been a couple. Matt Gates, who's a member of Congress from Florida, has been calling for him to be removed. But Republicans have not said anything about it, and I think it's a, it's a massive mistake. What Byrd did was completely wrong. There are, by the way, a number of other senators, Dianne Feinstein, Kelly Loeffler, who I interviewed, who also sold stock, at that, a lot of stock, during that time. But I think the Burr story is just much clearer. I mean, he didn't just sell stock, he liquidated. Like, that was it. He didn't, he didn't move the stocks around. He sold everything. And he converted to cash. And and I know what that is. You know, it's in, and it's infuriating. I mean, by the way, you saw this week, last Wednesday, a hedge fund manager called Bill Ackman, is one of the biggest hedge fund managers in America, went on CNBC for 28 minutes and said, the world's falling apart, sell, stock market's going to collapse, hotel stocks are going to zero. That's what he said. This, people on Wall Street paid attention to him. Prices went down, not just because of what he said, but in part because of what he said. What did Ackman do? He whipped around and bought stocks at a much lower price than they would have been otherwise. In other, in other words, he, he went on a shopping spree. And then he netted $2 billion in five days doing that. And you know what, you know what stocks he bought as well? Hotel stocks, the ones he had said no. were going to zero. Like, that's Isn't disgusting. that something? So he followed his own advice. Well, he, but nobody no, said anything no. about it. It's like, no, I, I did a did on care. last let night. Me, people hey. looked at me like, loud. Well, so for, first of all, I don't care whether it's allowed or not. Screaming fuck you at your grandmother isn't illegal. <laughs> but if you do it, you're, that's a horrible thing to do, and we should say so. I mean, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't understand yeah. that just because let me do this. Oh, let I, me I do this Here's okay. what he did, Karen. Using the media, mm-hmm. we're fucking lapdogs. He went on CNBC and he said, the sky is falling. Get out now. And he had made a bet that you were all going to get out now. And then he swooped up and, and bought it up. Of and he, he's, he's not been called out by NBC. You, you see that no. very much. I see it. He, he, Tucker, you know, you, you're there. I've been there. I'm here now. I see press conferences. I, I, I'm given statistics by, by my regional leaders and they're fake. And we just print it because they said so. We don't do anything to check up on it. And here's the question, Tucker, about the media. How is it that all the anchor men still have makeup and hairspray in this time of isolation and self-introspection? How the fuck do they have all that? I don't know. I'm I'm in isolation. I don't get any hairspray. Um, I use spit, which is actually works. I had a makeup artist for you. In fact, I still have her back in Washington. Over 20 years, same makeup artist. Wonderful woman. And she always, I have a cow licking back. She always spits on her hand and puts it down. That's so I've disgusting. used. Uh, You're going to get coronavirus. <laughs> it's disgusting, it's disgusting, but I have low sanitary standards. They've served me well. I have a strong immune system as a result. But anyway, the point I hope is, so. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. I know. But it's true. <laughs> hey, whatever works. Yeah, it does work. My so wife where has. do we go from here? Like, that's, how do you, how do you see one. this? How do you see this? changing, stopping, turning around? The disease itself, well, medical advances will slow it down. That's, that's the only thing in the short. I mean, ultimately, these things burn themselves out and then they reemerge some other time. 
mm-hmm. but you know that we need. I'll, I remember so vividly because I'm old. I'm like Charlie's age almost. Um, <laughs> I remember really well the, the AIDS epidemic, and I mean my uncle got AIDS and he lived with us, and, and the second he got AIDS, like we knew he was going to die, and and he did die, and it's a horrible way to die, as I'm sure you know. And all these opportunistic diseases come in, and it's it's absolutely awful. But anyway, AIDS was terrifying mostly because it had no cure. As soon as there is a hope, some effective therapy, you know, I can, I'm not going to die from this, the panic subsides. I mean, we live with a pretty persistent death rate from disease. That's just the nature of life. Like a lot of people die of disease, right? Including infectious disease, viruses. But we can handle it because we think there's something that we can do about it. So the second there is a proven therapy, it doesn't need to work in every case, but if it works in 50% of cases, that's a mass, 30%, that's a massive improvement over what we have now. Part of the reaction that we all feel, I certainly feel it, is a response to helplessness. There's like nothing you can do. You know, it's like you're, you go to the grocery store to buy paper towels, and the next thing you know, you're on a respirator. Like, that's terrifying. If people thought there was some medical response that worked, life would go back to normal much more quickly. I honestly think that's the answer. Well, be it uh, the market or be it uh, human beings, there's nothing we hate more than uncertainty. Which exactly. Is kind of exactly. Right. Yeah. I think that, don't you, th- I mean, don't you feel that way? I think most oh, people do. I think, I think that's just human nature. You don't, what you don't know scares you. Yes. And that's yes. why I'm just, some people overreact. Yeah. I'm just beyond that now. I, look, I'm a, uh, this this will pass, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll go back to normal. And everybody must now look at how abnormal everything is. Uh, we 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 need a third way. Like the Democrats really want power, and I've been through that. We get nothing, and the Republicans want power, and we go through that, and we get nothing. It's it's time for a reckoning. You know, Tucker. I told you I was considering that run for United States Senate as a complete independent. Well, oh, don't laugh now. I'm telling I you, win. I was on your side completely. I wish you'd done that. Well, you know, you can't. There's a couple of things I learned. First of all, you can't collect signatures during a corona epidemic. So forget about that. <laughs> Sir, true. can I get your signature and touch this? You, pen? Can, you can get them an electronic uh, campaign, Charlie. They have petitions. You can do it electronically. Can you? Isn't this a time to redefine who we are, what we do, and how we do things? And that's pretty much what I was asking. Not necessarily in terms of medical evolution, how this will change. Certainly, this this, oh. this does. But I'm thinking economically. I'm thinking from a, a government oversight standpoint, how we interact with each other. What do we look like when this stops? Well, no matter what happens, the federal government gets stronger. That's just that's been happening for a hundred since the First World War. So, mm-hmm. well, really since the Civil War. But whatever, big moments of trauma and change always makes the central authority more powerful in this country. So I would guess that that would proceed and there are upsides to that and there are downsides, but I think that's going to happen. I think there's got to be some huge upside to pulling every college student in America off campus because kids are going to realize and their parents are going to realize I don't need to pay $65,000 a year to do this and go in debt that wrecks my life. Yep. Maybe there's a cheaper way to do it. And, and rich people will always send their kids to college because it's fun. And why wouldn't you? They don't care. But for people making a hundred grand a year, college for three kids is like a death sentence. It's terrible. It's, it actually will wreck your life. So that's not sustainable. The colleges are, are greedy and insulated, totally self-absorbed. 
they're, they're nasty little narcissists who don't care about their effect on American society, but this will force them to care because a lot of them are going to go out of business. Because the flow of Chinese students, which has been keeping these places afloat, is going to come to a halt. Endowments are going to shrink. Donations will dry up. And some percentage of parents are going to be like, no mas, we're doing this online or doing something else. And so I really think you're going to see it. So, so why that's significant? It's significant for, you know, Bates and Wesleyan and, you know, all the schools are going to go under. And they are going to go under, and I'm. I will applaud that. I'll be saying they're cheering as they go under and are turned into low-income housing. I can't wait for that to happen. But that will change American society because the assumption of every middle-class family now is that your main goal in parenting is to pay for college. That's literally the main job you have. And if your kids are, you know, getting baked before breakfast, that's bad. But the most important thing is to get them through college, and it's just a lie. Of course, it's a huge lie. And I think people will come to see that, and that will have massive effects that are hard to predict. So you're laughing at it, Karen, but I'm telling the truth. I'm you know, looking at an independent run. Here's, here's what I see. I'm laughing Senator Richard, Senator Richard uh, Burr of North Carolina enriches himself, and it's a nice little club up there. And the president, I mean, what more do you need to say about that? You look at Governor Rick Snyder and... What he wrecked in Flint, and the whole country's Flint now. Then I look, I look at the Democratic Party. I haven't heard from my senators. I haven't heard from the governor in Wayne County. I haven't heard from the Wayne County executive. I haven't heard from the county sheriff. The mayor has all the unions. Hush, hush. Don't talk about it. I just see two big machines that collect money prop their people up. If you're an independent, mm -hmm. you don't have a party to give you unlimited resources. We need a new way and they've got it set up where we can't. And I, I don't want this to be a downer, but I really don't see uh, a shiny turnaround, Karen, when this is over. I, I don't see us going where we need to go. Fair wages, right? Uh, a yeah. nimble and responsive government. I don't see it. Well, we talked about all the voids that this crisis was uncovering. You know, we talked about children having to go to school just to eat. We talked about, you know, those who work, who have to mask their symptoms because there's no paid time off. I mean, we can see how broken we are. I mean, are we going to fix it or no? I mean, Tucker talked about how much unnecessary government we have. Are we going to reduce it or are we going to continue to add on? Tucker? I, oh, I wasn't saying we have unnecessary government. I was saying we have ineffective, incompetent government, um, which we, certainly do, which <laughs> okay. we certainly do. I was saying we have a lot of unnecessary higher education costs, which are a disaster. And all of us buy into this lie that's wrecking the country. I mean, student loans, maybe more than any other factor, have distorted American society to the point where young people are now the poorest people. That shouldn't be the case. You shouldn't. I mean, we're wrecking a whole generation of kids. Like that's wrong. What we're doing It's really, really and wrong. You can't, and all you can't default on those loans. Yeah. We changed well, that. No, right. Right. Only exactly. those who are defaulted on the loans are getting any type of reprieve right now. I mean, you have to. What about you know those? You can't. Who are no, paying? no. Listen, you can't. You can't as a student. You you can't. Um, if you if you file for bankruptcy, that student loan doesn't go away. I understand, but they're only giving any type of support or assistance to those who may have defaulted on their loans. What about those who are struggling or keeping them paid, or their parents are paying them? I That's mean, true. so you know, student debt is out of hand for everybody who's going to college. I didn't even college. know that. Wait, I'm sorry. I 
that's amazing. I, I didn't know that. So you're saying the only people who are getting assistance right now Yes, if you defaulted on your loans, like in in terms of that's totally unfair. Exactly. Suspension of interest, um, all of that. That's if you've defaulted on the loan. What kind of Well, but what about all the people who are trying their best to to pay? That's not That's my point. You're you're screwing (laughs) well, you're absolutely right. You're screwing the people who are trying the hardest. It's a lot ever do that. A lot like two thousand and eight in a way, with homeowners that paid their mortgage and those that didn't. Exactly. Um, I hate that. Yeah, I think I think everybody. Okay, Tucker, Tucker, who's the biggest DB in in national media? The the biggest what? Douchebag, as you're saying, the, the pontificator. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Take your pick. There are so many. I I will say this. I mean, I know them all. It's all I've ever done for thirty years, so I know them. I mean, it's a pretty small group. I would say this though: the more flawed, or the more badly someone treats those around him, like the shittier a person you are in your personal life, the more your wife hates you, the more your kids are estranged, the more your staff fears you, the less you tip waiters, the more likely you are to be self-righteous because you're compensating for your own faults because you're acting out of guilt and you're trying to transfer that guilt onto other people. So whenever you see someone stand up and be like, I've got the answers. Anyone else is a bad person. And you know what I mean? Who speak in this kind of like, I'm Jesus type talk, which they all do. The more they talk that way, the more horrible they are in real life. I will say that. So it's the whole kit and caboodles, what you're saying. <laughs> it's all of you. Well, yeah. I mean, there's just an awful lot of that. There's an awful lot of that. I mean, it's an awful lot. And it's just the self-righteousness. I mean, there is a fine line between justified rage and self-righteousness, right? There are lots of things that's worth being mad about. I think, and it's our job to be mad about them, to try and change them. I mean, that's that's how I feel about my life anyway. But whenever you get someone like up there who's relentlessly judging everybody else and reserving all judgment from himself, that is a bad person, just so you know. Isn't that what gets eyeballs sometimes? Not with me, man. I could never, I can watch someone who's pissed off if he's got a good reason to be pissed off. That doesn't bother me at all. Righteous indignation never bothers me. Self-righteousness is disgusting. And again, once again, always an indicator of moral rot. Decent people don't do that. Decent people acknowledge how little they know, how wrong they've been, how imperfect their efforts may be. They never hold themselves up as, like, moral heroes. They don't do that. Mm -hmm. Because as you age and as you gather wisdom, you know, and this is the root of all wisdom, what a screwed-up person you are. Like, that's that's what wisdom, that's why kids are so freaking judgmental. Like if you have kids, you know, oh, yeah. they're very fast to judge everybody because they've never failed. They've never been humiliated. They've never, you know, been ashamed in front of their neighbors or their spouses. They, they don't know how screwed up they are. So everybody else is falling short. It's a horrible quality. It's my least favorite thing about young people, including my own, as much as I love <laughs> them. I don't like that. I not, okay. And by the way, I was like that, just to be clear. I think we all were. You turned into a bitter old man. No, I'm I'm way less bitter and way less judgmental. Actually, I was a bitter young man. I already went through that. Then I got fired in public, and I couldn't make my payments on my house. And I realized, wait a second, you know, like you're kind of a loser. Why are you judging other people? And that made me. That really helped me a lot. Yeah, yeah. That'll that'll do. Okay. Work hardship and health hardships will do that. That'll yes, teach the you health too. I, I I agree with that. Yeah. Totally shows you what's important. Hey. I know yeah, maybe, so, maybe, so maybe we all come out better now because this health thing is showing us what's important. So maybe that's a lesson that's everybody will take away. Until we're all healthy again, Karen. 
Well, fingers <laughs> crossed. Hey, Tucker, last thing. I know you got to go to work, but uh, what are you hoarding? Oh, ammo. Always. Yeah, always ammo. ammo. That's it? Ammo? Well, no. I mean, I, I'm not a big hoarder, but I've always had a lot of ammo in hand because I hunt and I shoot and I just use ammo because, you know, I have a woodlot with bowling pins on it, so I, you know, shoot a lot. But, um, but yeah, I always have a lot of ammo because why wouldn't you not? And I, I'm, I've already told you how totally opposed to violence I am, which, and it's sincere having seen some, I'm, I'm very against it, but I think the right to defend your family is the most basic of all rights. And I, and I'm really deeply personally resent any attempts to strip that from me. Um, and I won't comply with them period, because that's the most, again, the most basic right you have is the right to protect the people you love, period. So um, yeah, I always have that, and I've got pretty bad eating habits, so if I were stockpiling food, I'd go with something cheap and bulky like pasta um, and, nice. and nicotine, pro- nicotine products. I mean, I use actually a fantastic new product. I can't remember the name of it. My daughter's boyfriend showed it to me a couple months ago, Zen, hmm. and it's a non-tobacco nicotine pouch. It's like dip, except there's no tobacco, so it's not carcinogenic. And it comes in six milligrams. It's like, it's crazy good. I just absolutely love it. So I would not want to be without this at all. So I just ordered a hundred tins of this. Um, you know, this, I guess you really, just, the short answer, you discover what you care about when, <laughs> when you worry about shortages. I could care less about toilet paper. I've got a lot of leaves in my yard. So like, whatever. But uh, nicotine products, yeah, I would not want to be without them. Spit in your hair and leaves in your bathroom. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm whatever. We're, I'm going to give animals. you a hint. I've never forgotten that. If you're getting pre-rolled cigarettes, anybody that smokes should switch from the regular to the 100s. It's exactly the same tobacco. And 100 yeah. means 100 milligrams, I guess. And the regular ones are 88. So you get about three extra cigarettes, same price, same tobacco, if you get the long ones. So you should do that. That's value shopping. I love shopping. that. <laughs> and take, and take the filters tipping. off anyway. As my father always said to me when I was a kid, filters aren't healthy. Shouldn't put filters on, they call them filter tips. We shouldn't put filter tips on cigarettes. Just stop smoking. You. <laughs> huh? You stop smoking, she said. Stop smoking. Oh, I'm not, I did stop smoking, but I, um, but I just, I'm, but I don't judge people who smoke. I don't smoking judge them either, but. Wait, Tucker, did you, do any of you, do any of you know, it was um, an American military leader they were surrounded. They had no food. And uh, the radio dispatch said, do you need food? He said, damn the food man, send tobacco. It was Blackjack Pershing, 1917, in a telegram to Woodrow Wilson. Sent from France that. to Washington. Send Camel. <laughs> camel awesome. cigarette. That's First great. produced in 1913. The oldest continuously produced American cigarette. I smoked them for many, many years. A great cigarette. And, um, and, and basically beat the Germans in the First World War. And the second, for that matter. And it's got a hidden it's picture suppre- on it. It suppresses appetite. So do you smoke yeah, anything, Tucker? I don't smoke. I don't smoke any weed. I don't drink alcohol. I'm like I'm like a Mormon who uses tobacco now. Hmm. Okay. Nick- Fair enough. No, I, I got off. I had to get off all that stuff. I couldn't be moderate with it. I'm not against it. I think a lot of people can. My wife drinks wine and, you know, is like a totally moderate person. It's not a big deal for her, but... I couldn't do that. I also try not to eat Snickers bars because I can't be moderate with that. I, you know, I have a lot of problems with the immoderation. Mm. Yeah. This is All right. Well, listen, brother. Yeah. Th- thanks for being on and uh, give them hell, you know. I'll be watching. I really, 
appreciate it. And I can't believe that thing about student loans. Thank you for telling me that. I'm, I'm on that literally right now. Okay, I'm going to watch. Karen, I think you just did his next show. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it's infuriating. That's like ridiculous. So yeah, thank it you. Is. You're welcome. <laughs> See ya. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Talk to you, brother. Be well. You guys, give me a second. I got these, what do they call, buds, earbuds? Yep. You have to do what? You got to recharge them? The dummies. I got I got switch. Oh, okay. Can you hear me? Yep. That there sounds better, too. Oh, it does. Just a good old-fashioned kind, Charlie. I'll have to call Tucker back. Oh, no, I got to sit. I got to sit down, then. Somebody asked, if that was a, somebody asked if that was a Banksy behind you, Charlie. Tell them that is an original yeah. by your daughter. That's my that's my daughter's original. Did I do something to the... Yeah, you totally yeah, cut off your out. own camera. There you are. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter did that. See, this is a um, um, a blackboard paint. Hmm. So you can get the paint, and it works exactly like a blackboard. And you can draw on it and then wash it off and start over. I'm going to do uh, that. We have little, I like that. We have metal filings in it. So um, watch. Let's see here. Are you going to do a light? It's a magnet. See, that's a magnet, mm-hmm. right? Whoa. Oh, so you can use like a board. Okay, good. Exactly. Very right, so you can hang papers from it and everything. So, yeah. So, Charlie, let me ask you, what are you hoarding? As I told you guys before, I, I don't hoard, but, you know, I've lived out west where you got to be prepared for mm-hmm. floods and fires and earthquakes. Bags of rice, okay. ammunition. Water purification tablets and iodine, right? Don't worry about that because the working man is out there taking care of the sewers. You're good. Um, uh, what uh, Batteries for your flashlights and everything. Mm-hmm. I have about uh, 50 gallons of gas, right? And um, some booze and my long <laughs> cigarettes. So you're set, right? Charlie. Well, I think my, uh, plan's yeah. just, my plan is just to go to Charlie's house after hearing all that. Jeez. <laughs> Well, remember, you know, no person is poor when they have friends. So if you, you can't if go you visit needed, them, Charlie. No, if you needed it, you uh, um, you you got a place here. You know, you, if you're with me, you know, you're not going to perish. And I told my daughter, start giving the dog the the leftovers. Right, we don't throw them away. Like you know, the 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 bun or whatever that you did. I said, give it to the dog because we got to we got to ration his food, and in the end. If it all runs out, he is our food. <laughs> no, Charlie. But you know what? This, this is teaching, in my opinion, everybody to not be as wasteful. You know, when you can go, and I, and I was at the market, this was about three weeks ago, and it really hit me just how lucky we are. Mm-hmm. This, no, this was right when this first started. And I had, I think, some cooking oil or something in the, in the, in the basket. And this lady says, how much is that? It was the last one there. She said, how much was that? How much is it? I said, I don't know. And it hit me that you can go to the store and not have to pay attention to it. We have to be on, we have to understand how blessed we are. And we've got to, even we have to reconfigure how we live, what we buy, how wasteful we are, how resourceful we are. We, we could all come out better if we, like Tucker said, you know, we're all broken people. We got to figure out how to fix ourselves and each other. That's so true, isn't it? I mean, now you're realizing uh, you, you wear your plastic gloves. And then you don't even think you throw them away yep. and then you ran out of gloves. And then you're like, well, where's those plastic gloves I threw away? Maybe if I rinsed them off or put them in a box outside for three days, 
right? Yeah, I could use just, them again. Well, can people just, start uh, throwing them away instead of just dumping them in the parking lot of Meyer right. or Costco? Because that's actually becoming an issue now. It's that's like, true. We're creating just, other problems. Just You're right. Be a little kinder and think ahead. I, think I just, about uh, the next person. Yes. Wait, watch this. Watch this. That stuff, right? The corona can live on uh, metal and plastic for what? They say three days, right? Yeah. Put, they say. put, put a box in the trunk of your car. Before you get in the car, take off your gloves and put them in the box so that when you go to the store in three and a half days, you have the gloves. It's really kind of simple. Or just wash your hands, Charlie. I mean, because unless you have gloves to change with every surface, you stand to cross-contaminate. So just wash your hands. And somebody said, Karen, keep your hands. I I have a habit of putting my hands to my face. So I sprayed my hands. I'm keeping them (laughs) off my face. But just being more conscious about those little things, just like this. When you go to the restroom and wash your hands, after you wash your hands, don't use your clean hands to turn the handle off because your hands were dirty when you turned it on. Wash your hands before you go to the bathroom. They're dirty. You don't want to touch yourself while you're... I mean, think about all these things. And just... I mean, these are things I do anyway. So you just... Think about it. Another silver lining going back to what you're talking about with conservation is my (laughs) six-year-old was just kind of as a little picky eater. And I've told Mm her, you know, things are a little different now. So whatever mom makes for dinner is what you're eating for dinner. And I don't want to hear anything else about it. And it's great. She's been eating better. Good. And you you know what? I'm eating less. I swear to God. I am too, which I couldn't stand. I'm like, there's there's no need for me to eat that. Mm. I'm not hard. working, Charlie. You've been running like literally on overload 24 hours straight for the past, I'd say three weeks at least. I'm um, yeah. not eating, but you need to take care of yourself, Charlie. You do. I'm, I'm okay. But Get you know what? Kit, something. Let me, let me, it's, I want to thank the, our sponsors for supporting us, you know, because they're hurting too, uh, but they're, they're still with us. And I'm, I got calls from construction lawyers saying, why are we still putting up the apartment complex? You know, the, the financiers saying it's um, critical infrastructure, which creates a whole bunch of legalities that people get sick and da, 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 da. So again, if there's questions about what you're supposed to do, what you're allowed to do, new and different practices, Call Barry Allentuck at ADR Consultants, 248-318-9424 for a consultation. Whether it's government or private industry, reduce your costs, stay within the law, think of new practices, right? Preserve your bottom line. ADR Consultants, experts in procurement, government compliance, information technology, property management, law enforcement, get the job done right on time, on budget. ADR Consultants, 248-318-9424. And our friend Luke Nowacki at uh, Pinnacle Wealth at 248-663-4748. What more do I need to tell you? Rational financial advice right now. The man manages credit unions, pension funds, personal income. Get rational advice, not fear, not speculation, right? Get a strategy, position you and your investments, retirement, college savings, if unlike Tucker, you want to send your kid to college, uh, plan for the long term. Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Well, 248-663-4748. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through Royal Associates, Inc. Member FINRA SIPC. 
is separately owned and other entities that are marketing names, products, or service referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. And last but not least, this is probably the first and foremost, mortgage rates are an all-time low. I know you're thinking about it. And if you're thinking about it, call Hall Financial, 248-308-5000, or go to davidhallmortgage.com. They're the quickest in the business. They're the cheapest in the business. They will meet you at, uh, look how busy it is for them. Your time, your schedule, get a personal touch, get some equity out of your home or refinance it and save that monthly payment. 248-308-5000, davidhallmortgage.com, equal housing lender, NMLS, 1467435. Very good, Charlie. Is that all right? Because Very good. It's excellent. You know, I... How do you say it? What I use these people in my own personal life. Mm-hmm. I talk to these people, right? You know, they comment about, they listen, and I want to thank you. Uh, oh, wait, what, no answer from Father Paul. So can we? We got the pray on our own. I'll, keep, me, try, I'll keep trying them. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give him a You guys go ahead and talk amongst yourself. Maybe he'll only answer to me. Oh, all right. <laughs> Well, that's fine. So, Mark, other than making your daughter or getting your daughter to now eat and not be so picky, I mean, I'm really having conversations with people about the changes. This is the time, in my opinion, for change so that we all come out ahead. Um, I think there needs to be an increase in uh, political awareness in terms of who people vote for and why. You know, I mean, certainly we're not going to eliminate government. As Tucker said, it's probably going to be larger and stronger when we come back. Mm-hmm. But just what other things do you see that people should start paying a different level of attention to? Hey, Paul, it's Charlie. <laughs> honestly, hey, trying to call you. And- hey, we- honestly, I maybe I like to think I'm an optimist, but I don't see much changing because I think the fear right now is let's just get through this. It right. really depends yeah. where we are at the end. Um, I don't know. I, I, there will be some changes in how people work in general. Mm-hmm. Just because of things like Zoom and teleconferencing, right. um, I think most of those political issues that people worried about, they just don't think about because right now it is strictly survival. Right. So yeah. it, it, it it's sad, but it's hard to figure out where this is going to go. Hopefully, the government will be a little more prepared for the next one next time it comes across, and maybe stockpile some stuff. Because I was telling Charlie earlier, I find it really interesting that we can't get ventilators, we can't get masks, we can't get PPEs. Yet somehow Apple can donate 10 million masks, Facebook can donate a million masks, and Pornhub can donate so many thousand masks. I mean, private industry is really stepping up here because they have the foresight of, you know, taking care of some stuff, be it because of wildfires or why ever they stockpiled stuff. But yeah, hey, hey, Mark. Yes. Okay, look at the screen. Hey, Joey, don't, don't, um, don't put the camera on me. I'm going to hold up Father Paul's number, and maybe I gave you the wrong number. He okay. had just answered. Can you see it? Uh, no. You got to put it in front of the camera. Oh, oh yeah. Duh. Uh, 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 uh. That's not on Facebook Live, is it? Don't no. let everybody call the the father. <laughs> okay. Got it? Uh, yep. You were one number off. <laughs> I thought so. I do that a lot. <laughs> no worries. Be right back. It was a long night. I just want to let everybody know I I love you. Stick together, right? Be be decent. 
think about yourself, be decent. And yes, even the old people, the diabetics, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, messaging me, asking for masks and stuff. I'll try to get you something like the one you held up, the Burberry, you know, those kind of paper ones. Uh, those are being donated. It's by, fabric, but yeah. Yeah. Dental offices mm-hmm. or whatnot. And I, I try to get it to, if it makes you feel better, good, you know, but if you're diabetic or having trouble breathing, don't go out, call a friend. That's true. Stay right. In. Yeah. And if you those, can go out, do something for those who can't or shouldn't go out. So true. How's that, Mark? You got them? Good. Hey, Paul. Hi, Charlie. How are you, Father? Wonderful. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I do the best so, I can. So how's your Lenten season going? It's a hell of a Lenten well, season, isn't it? It's uh, pretty grim, but uh, then again, uh, there's much to be said about it. I'm thinking of a novel that Albert Camus wrote in 47, and it was a time when they had an outbreak of deadly pestilence in Algeria, and he writes that the various townspeople react to the growing threat in their midst, describing their trajectory from vague indifference initially to existential crisis as the plague claims more and more of their neighbors. Well, you know, when we started this business, there didn't seem to be much urgency about it. I mean, food comes and goes, and uh, China's a long way away. And now, all of a sudden, uh, it's in our backyard in Trump cards. So that's not a happy circumstance. But uh, what I could do, I mean, I don't know what your direct interest in is, but uh, I could trace the uh, some of the rhythm, as I understand it, of this Lenten season. And uh, if it makes sense, okay. If it doesn't make sense... Uh, I can go a different direction. What's your mind? Go ahead, make, make sense of it. Now, let me introduce you. It's uh, Father Paul Chateau from, from he's my priest at uh, Fatima. I know we changed the name, Father, but I'm not doing that. You know, and I, okay. yeah, I still say, and also with you, I'm sorry, I'm just not changing. <laughs> but but you, you're, I know you have to act priest-like, but you're a really cool and funny guy. And, and I think you're an old hippie, aren't you? Well, I don't know about that. I can't even spell hippie, but whatever. Because <laughs> you, you say something like, hang loose, brother. 47 <laughs> years I've been working at this particular church, so I kind of know my way around the living quarters anyway. Okay, well, look, I've, I just, I, spiritually, we need something. I miss seeing you. My favorite part of Mass is always... Uh, the gospel and your homily. So since none of us, this, this show broadcasts on Sundays, since none of us can get out and I know we all miss you and whether it's somebody's imam or their rabbi, what have you, we, we miss the community. And yeah, and if you could maybe give us a little scripture and a little homily, I won't tell you what to do, but please take us to church. Well, I'm going to trace uh, the season a little bit. Uh, right away in, on Ash Wednesday, we listened to the prophet Joel who said, return to me with all your heart, and directing that 
included uh, a reflection of St. Paul to the Corinthians. We are ambassadors for Christ. And the bottom line to all of this is to make an increased effort to bring peace, kindness, and understanding to one another. So right away they remind us not to perform righteous deeds just to make a show. They have to be part of our fabric, part of our tradition. Well, in the first Sunday of Lent, there are the temptations. Stones become loaves of bread, if you will. If uh, you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, and uh, so on. And basically, it's a temptation not only to Jesus, but to our time uh, seeking control, domination, power, the attitude of might makes right, and uh, proving one's superiority, becoming number one. This is the antithesis of the gospel. If you have something to contribute, it will be noted by your deeds, not by any grandiose efforts. The next Sunday, uh, Jesus is transfigured. All of a sudden, his uh, apostles don't know too much, but he becomes someone so extraordinary that they don't know what to do with it. And hopefully, some of that uh, radiance comes into our own minds and hearts. The uh, following Sunday, we have woman at the well, which is an unprecedented uh, interaction between male and female. Uh, Jesus did things that were not prominent in their society, in fact, not accepted at all, but he reaches out with healing and connectedness. Powerful lesson to us today as we struggle together. The next Sunday, we went through the whole passage of the man born blind from birth. This is, uh, we all have our blind spots, but this is a powerful reflection. In fact, this is only in John's gospel, and it is a strong moment indeed, because uh, in or ineptitude, we are to see through the vision of faith. Faith in what? Faith in a new day, something that will uh, be a powerful expression of what is yet to come. And so the uh, passage is the uh, longest in the Gospels of any of Jesus' events, miracles, except the uh, Passion. And now, as we come to the uh, Sunday coming up, we have Lazarus being raised from the dead. What a powerful expression of uh, God's power to take us from death to life, from uh, nothingness to a whole transformation. I think of this in the context uh, of... Um, a lady who happened to be a 
war bride in the 40s, and she was a Japanese lady, and uh, she married into an Italian family and felt undermined quite a bit, and her husband was certainly dominating, strict uh, Italian fellow, and uh, he uh, felt pretty depressed, but he acquired uh, some serious cancer, and she nursed him for two or three years, and he expired. And all of a sudden, a heavy veil was lifted from her, and she started going out to all the gatherings and uh, was a girl about town, and happiness abounded. She uh, went she knows everything was good, and all of a sudden she gets the same thing her husband did, and in her depression, she was inconsolable, and uh, the family kind of pressed me to see her, and I I told her a story of uh, Lazarus, and uh, that was the story that uh, kind of was able to put into perspective some of her understanding her vision of what is yet to come. And I think I just said that that story of the blind man was uh, long, but this Gospel of St. John's about Lazarus is uh, indeed the uh, second only to the uh, passion narrative. And so we go through all these things, and uh, in this you may remember a couple of years ago, there was a Rembrandt exhibition, a powerful one at uh, the DIA, the Detroit Institute of Arts. And it pointed the evolution of Rembrandt himself. His depiction of Jesus initially was as an aristocrat, uh, as was the custom of that time, and a person of great nobility. Then the transition from an experience of uh, financial challenges and uh, losing his family, his wife, his child. He goes then to live in a very poor Jewish area and uh, accesses humble, impoverished folks for models. And it reflected his own mindset that the power of Jesus did not come through strength, power, and overwhelming domination. It came through uh, sensitive and challenging uh, moment in his own life, and what he perceived as he drew some sketchings. They had several sketchings of his work, that's Rembrandt's work, about uh, the uh, raising of Lazarus. And initially... I remember it. He depicted, you'll remember maybe, he depicted a dominating God coming down and just bringing him out of that tomb. But later on, as he got older and more sophisticated, it was a gentle Jesus kind of supporting uh, Lazarus, uh, moving toward life again. So, uh, so in that... In that, in the great summation of the scripture, your study of God, our own self-knowledge of God, and the times we're living in, you, Paul, what do you suggest we do to come out of this thing better? 
What can we do right now with our time since we have much of it? What should we be looking to do? I've got a small analogy. I I had a friend mention uh, the disdain of having been pretty much uh, cloistered, and they're reminded of Anne Frank. You'll remember the Jewish young lady uh, trying to escape. Yeah, we, we, we all know her. Ravages. So anyway, her family, during that time, hid in an attic for over 700 days. So here, after a week or two of uh, uh, being cloistered, all of a sudden we have the opportunity to take stock of what we have, where we're going. We can't go alone. We have to recognize our interdependence so that we can be uh, more honest with one another, uh, try to be... have a sense of community, a spirit of collaboration, sociability, generosity. We have to get beyond ourselves, and hopefully through this time, that will occur, even though it's a challenging time for those who have to have children, who have to do things mm. with the family that they might not have done in all their marriage. So these are the things that are on my agenda and I pass along for what they're worth to you. And I'll say this to you, Paul and I, uh, and I wish you a good day. Number one, thanks for, despite not supposedly doing it, that you go out and you tend to the dying. I admire you for that. Uh, and I just want to take the opportunity to say, I don't think I've ever told you that I, I love you. I admire you immensely and and I respect you. And uh, you are my brother, Paul. Thanks for doing the work. Thank you, Charlie. Stay loose. Okay, baby. Talk to you, man. (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. Love that guy. So you've got a pastor that tells you to stay loose. Ah, Yeah. And, you know, take stock of yourself. Like you were asking, Karen. I think he is. Just try to love one another. Yep. That's it. But Charlie, I have to take a moment and extend both prayers to those who are touched and struggling uh, with this and to the families of a lot of friends, colleagues, uh, associates in Detroit who we've lost um, over the past just few days. It's it's a lot. It, it's a yes. lot. And I want to especially say um, uh, my thoughts to the Detroit Police Department. Uh, uh, Captain John Parnell was a really great guy, a terrific member of the community, one of the really good cops. He succumbed to Corona. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of everybody in blue, all the deputies who lost Commander Collins. Right. I know you're all scared and you're still showing up and you don't know who represents you. Um, you represent us. And yeah, you're right. And everybody that has it and is scared, um, I'm thinking of you. I'll get off of this show and, and try to figure out what I can do for you. And uh, I hope, uh, Mark, your your family's well. Yep, we're uh, we're sequestering ourselves. Yeah, and thank you, wife, for letting you come out. No problem. And if you don't mind, if I could uh, take this out, close the show out with with something I wrote about. You know, only essential people should be out. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote it, and I'd I'd like to read it. It's sort of my homily after my 
you know, my shepherd, Paul. Um, so here's what I wrote. <laughs> Excuse me. There goes the garbage man. He's essential. Without him, trash piles up, vermin come, disease festers. There he is this morning, removing the throwaways of some unseen life, carting it to some unseen hole, never to be considered again. There go the discarded wine racks, the throw pillows, the heaping bags of food waste. What must he think of us lounging behind our draperies? The nurse arrives to work this morning. She's essential. The emergency room bursts with the stricken, and yet she has insufficient equipment to protect herself. But there she is anyway, working without complaint in the great coronavirus pop-up tent at great risk to herself. Where is all the public money gone that is supposed to help her, she wonders. The ambulance jock flies by, then the cop, then the fire wagon. The truck driver brings milk and gas and beer. The cashier comes to work at the pet food shop. The farm laborer still labors. The meat packer still butchers. The utility worker is still up on the wire and down in the sewer. The ancient priest continues to tend to the dying. They are the people who keep America fed and watered, safe and spiritually comforted. They are truly essential people, underpaid and underappreciated. They are the essential workers who were passed by when the golden pears fell from the magical stock market tree of the past decade. Instead, during that harvest time, we took their benefits and their pensions. We talked about running some of them out of the country. Now we realize how essential they really are. And no one talks such things. Not now, anyway. The swells, the stockbrokers, the bankers, the lobbyists, the lawyers. Their fruit bowls runneth over during the great stock market harvest. Yet, how non-essential do they seem now? If we were all lawyers, we'd be starving on words. The high financiers and the elected officials who serve them, today, they seem essentially to be the problem. It is a moment of great humbling in America, a time to ask oneself, what do I know? What do I do? Am I essential? Watch as the hordes hoard toilet paper, as few know how to make something as simple as soap. The ability to create fire has given way to gathering around the glowing box of streaming TV. Oral traditions and decent poetry have given way to Facebook bio and ranting. Who can snare a fish unless there are boxes to be speared in the freezer case at a big box store? Repair a machine? We can't figure out how to recycle plastic gloves, much less dispose of them properly. The majority of men lead lives of desperate isolation, a life conducted in a mortgaged box, commuting to work in a financed box where we sit in cubicles and type into a blinking box. We eat our pre-prepared food from a frozen box, waiting one day to be buried in a laminated box. This pandemic will pass and we will be left to pick up the shards of an economy. This may be the essential moment for self-diagnosis, a time as we are quarantined in our boxes to look inside and to come out better. What is our meaning? Are we essential? Yes, we are all essential, necessary and answerable to one another for the sake of our children, if nothing else. So maybe we start by saying thank you and acknowledging those working people whose work and lives are indeed essential. Bravo. Love y'all. Everybody out there, try to love one another.
See you kind of next week, virtually, maybe. Hey, Mark, thanks, man. I don't think we could no do problem. this. No problem. Yeah, thanks, Mark. You were a lifesaver. Thanks. Took a while, but we got there. <laughs> Power to the people. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing Always look on the bright side of life Look on the right side of life For life is quite absurd And death's the final word You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your seat Give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance and out So always look on the bright side of death Just before you draw your terminal breath Life's a piece of shit when you look at it Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go Just remember that the last laugh is on you And always look on the bright side of life It's available in the foyer. Some of us got to live as well, you know. All right, that's a lot. Let's get this place up there. Choke his mantle within three weeks. Do you think he pays for this, brother? Never made the money back, you know. I told him. I said to him, Bernie, I said, they'll never make that money back. Thank you very much for coming along.